Greetings. I'm Raman Chada, founder of the Junto Institute. Welcome to Flourishing Together, where we have inspiring conversations with people who are becoming infinitely better at who they are and what they do. On today's episode, I'm delighted to have two people with whom I've had long-standing relationships. We're going to start things off with Chris Campbell, founder and CEO of ReviewTrackers.com. ReviewTrackers has customer feedback software that helps businesses transform their customer experience. Through their platform, they review data from over 150 review sites to surface customer insights that help their customers and their brands listen, comprehend, and make data-driven decisions about what they truly need or want. I've known Chris for many years, from the time that he was a student at DePaul University, and so I've had the just wonderful pleasure of watching him grow personally and professionally over the years. He's a serial entrepreneur, having started multiple companies, and it's been just as gratifying seeing the success that he's been having with Review Trackers. Let's get to know Chris a little bit. Well, I'm really delighted to have an old friend here with us, Chris Campbell, who is the founder and CEO of Review Trackers. Uh, welcome, Chris, to Flourishing Together. Thanks, Rob. I'm excited to be here. And uh, as we do every single time, we're going to kick things off and find out how Chris is feeling here today. So today, as I look at the illustrious uh, emotion wheel, I feel appreciative. Uh, and nostalgic a little bit as Raman and I were talking about um, I'm getting married in a few weeks and it uh, brought up those kind of emotions. Uh, you know, it's funny. I too, uh, I wasn't uh, feeling nostalgic along the lines of nostalgic feeling actually a little bit sentimental um, partially because as I mentioned, Chris and I go way back. Uh, the other part is we were talking about his wedding and uh, kind of marriage in general. And so it kind of threw me back to those days for myself. And uh, we also mentioned my daughters. So feeling quite a bit of sentimentality right now. Um, Also, a lot of enthusiasm. And I won't go into that because we just don't have enough time. Um, We're here mostly for Chris. So um, we're going to start by having you share your first recollection of leadership. Yeah, so I thought about this this morning and um as i kind of like put it together do you what do you think um i mean this is a good question for you what do you define leadership as because there's a lot of different memories for different reasons so you want to what do you think you want to stimulate this based on a, a definition of leadership yeah so we define leadership at junto as moving people in the direction you're going have i ever told you the story of my first lemonade stand you may have but i don't recall it okay i think this is the uh Moving people in a certain direction, I think this is an appropriate story. So uh, circa 10 years old, I am in the front yard, you know, in the suburbs of Chicago and got a little lemonade stand, uh, as one does uh, when you're a kid and growing up in the burbs. It's kind of a slow day, uh, but definitely warm enough for, uh, you know, premium sales of some uh, lemonade. And... You know, not much foot traffic in the cul-de-sac. And on comes by the mailman, Butch. You know, Butch was his name uh, because in the suburbs, you'd actually know your mailman's name. And he's walking by and 
uh, I go, hey, Butch, you know, how about a glass of lemonade? And he goes, oh, you know, kind of doing one of these things where he's like tapping his pants pockets and like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't see any. He's like, I don't think I, I got anything. Uh, not today. And feeling like I'm about to lose the sale as he starts to walk away. I'm like, hold on, Butch, how about a glass of water? That's free today. He goes, you know what? That sounds nice. It's like boiling hot out there. He's got pants. He like wipes the sweat from his brow. I scamper off into the house to get him a glass of water. During this time, my mom comes over and says, hi. She's like in the front yard planting flowers. Uh, that was her uh, release. And I come back out with a glass of water, hand it to Butch. And he goes, thank you. Takes a sip. Spits it right out. My mom goes, Butch, what's wrong? He goes, that water is boiling hot. And without skipping a beat, I go, now would you like a glass of lemonade? So, you know, at early age, creating that demand uh, for a market and a product. And uh, I guess in this example, moving people in a certain direction. Uh, needless to say, I wasn't able to have any more lemonade stands that summer. That was, that was the end of the empire, but first of many little ventures like that. Uh, I, I love that story. And yes, I have heard it. And it is so emblematic and might be one of the first signs of that hustler in you that uh, many of us know about um, going back some years. So thanks for sharing that, Chris. Well, that might have been when you experienced one of your first lows of a customer saying no to you and uh, also a high where you actually got somebody to buy from you ultimately. And you've started a, a number of businesses over the years. You've been with Review Trackers now for quite some time. And like all entrepreneurs, you've had a number of highs and a number of lows along the way. And in fact, I could say on a given, in a given week, right, we experience a bunch of highs and lows. Sometimes in the same 10 minutes. Exactly. What I'd like you to do is to reflect a little bit. And I know this is a, a tough thing to kind of call out because um, there's no way to catalog all of our memories. But what do you, as you look back, what might be one of the highest highs you've ever had as an entrepreneur? And then conversely, one of the lowest lows. So as an, as an entrepreneur, we go, the ride the roller coaster of the ups and downs. And I think that's part of being an executive is you learning how to uh, manage through that, mellow out. And that's probably not the right way to describe it, but um, the experience. I'll share two events happened the same year around the time of starting the business. Start with the low first. Back in 2013, we, we were just getting started. We we're about a year in, low on funds. And I made the decision to basically like, you know, couch surf with my friends, uh, not even have an apartment. And this is the time when you're like splitting $5 footlongs at Subway to, to make it by. And it was just a really difficult period for me personally. Like it's hard because I was so focused on trying to make sure the, the business survived. Um, I had invested my life savings. I had taken money from friends. I was like, this, this is going to make it. And as part of the choice, like just not having an apartment and, you know, some other like what people might cons consider to be uh, the basics of life, uh, cutting those out. Uh, and it was super challenging. It was not like a, it was a stretch over several months. And, uh, you know, on the plus side, got through it and, and now the company is doing really well. But that was like some of the sacrifices I needed to make as the founder uh, to make sure we got to the other side. That same year, I think one of the highs was, it was, as you would expect, revenue related. So I think the first customer, which was uh, Beecher's Cheese out of Seattle, 
and a guy named Matt, and I remember him calling and I'll share this story as a little tidbit because I'm, I'm very big into minimum viable product and testing and iterating. But so Matt calls uh, and goes, Hey, really excited. Love your product. Want to sign up. And he's like, well, first thing we actually have nine restaurants. So we want to, you know, sign up with. And at the time we had a free trial, you could just have one. And so like, I'm like, you know, pumping my fists in the air, like, Oh my God. Yes. Like a multi-location deal. And then he goes, well, you know, I, I know you got to add those locations, but you know, I do want to sign up. And I tried to figure out where to add my credit card and I, I didn't see where, Oh, you're in trial mode. Don't worry about it. Why don't you go ahead and send over the locations. We'll get everything spun up. And then once everything looks good, you can go ahead and add your credit card. Thanks, Chris. That sounds great. Well, at the time, because we're, you know, MVP, uh, we didn't have a billing system. So in the next three days, we built a billing system and Beatrice Cheese added their credit card and they became our first customer uh, later that week. So uh, with nine paying locations. Uh, both of those are so emblematic of kind of the classic entrepreneurial story. A, we all remember our first customer, right? For me and for us, it was Kilton Hopkins, who I, I believe you know, uh, with his former company, Icon. And I will just never forget that moment of him literally raising his hand when we were doing a pitch. And then the sacrifices that we all make that sometimes don't, well, they're just not known by most people. And they see us when we're at a place of kind of visibility and recognition and in the public eye. And many times people don't realize that there are relationships left in the wakes. People are sleeping on couches. They don't have some of the basics of, of life. Um, so I appreciate you sharing those. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the people out there uh, who are going to listen to this can relate to either or both of those. All right. So, um, as I mentioned during my intro, I've known you since uh, you were in college, and I recall soon after you graduated, you became a globe trotter and became a, a global citizen really early in adulthood, and something that I've always admired and appreciated. Uh, like many people, I'm sure you've heard, I wish I would have done that kind of thing for as long as you did. It's not too late, Roman. Uh, well, it's too late to do it as a young kid. Uh, <laughs> a young it's kid, it's not yeah. too late to do it, period. Tell us about how that experience now with, you know, what's been maybe eight or 10 years since you did that. Tell us how that has shaped you as both um, a leader and also as a, as a man. So I was in my mid-20s when I made the decision to more aggressively travel. Uh, travel can be used loosely, you know, for you that might mean around the city, it might mean around the country, it might mean around the world. For me, it, it meant a mixture of uh, all of that. And it was kind of one of those things where like mentally, I was, you know, young, no savings, you know, and I was like, you know, I was um, intrigued and enthralled by the idea of traveling. I wasn't quite sure how to do it. And it was one of those things where I was like, what, what am I putting all these roadblocks in front of me? So I tried to figure out how to make it happen. So picked up a couple consulting gigs where I could work remote essentially and took off. And I started slow by traveling around the US, you know, two weeks in DC, two weeks in Boston, et cetera. Uh, and then slowly moved abroad uh, to a couple different destinations, spent a lot of time in South America, which um, 
was lovely and awesome and, and highly recommend it. But it changed me a lot. I learned what I really needed to survive, what 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 I really enjoyed about life. I got my fill of adventures and stories and memories and everything in between. And I don't know any other experiences you can have as an adult that takes you so much out of your comfort zone that allows you to get to center as I kind of refer to it as than traveling internationally. Like it's when you don't know how to speak the language or uh, have the currency or, you know, X, Y, Z roadblock. It can be really invigorating and it was for me. So I learned what true independence was. I learned how to navigate the world. I think it made me a better person, more curious, lifelong learner, and helped me find my true self, which I think is really important for us humans to to understand that because so often we we don't understand that. Okay, I want you to go a little bit further on the true self thing. We don't use that language necessarily, but we talk so much about being a better self, which kind of insinuates this idea. What have you? What has emerged for you? about your true self. How do you define that, especially as it relates to you, not in general, but to, for you? Or how do you describe your true self? As I think about like the the true self and what that, that means to me, I don't really have a, a clear definition that I can give you. But what I can say is that I've learned what I like, what I don't like, and the voice to be able to express that. Everyone has this experience like where they like, oh, let's, you know, where are we going for dinner? And like, everyone's like, I don't care. I don't care. But like, you know, just figuring out what you really want. And that that's a super simplistic version of that. But think of that and you can apply it to all parts of your life, whether it's relationships, jobs, uh, where you live, like more serious decisions. And I think a lot of people don't have that clarity. And I'm not saying I have all the answers and I'm still on a, a student on the journey myself, but being able to build that intuition, that that gut feeling to get a better understanding of of what you like and what you don't like, uh, I have found to be really powerful and to help me as a leader to make better decisions, um, be a better friend, partner, uh, brother, et cetera. And I just, I don't know, it it helped, helped me figure out who I am. And, you know, you don't have to travel to do that. You don't have to move to South America. Like some people find this through, Therapy, some people just have like really high emotional intelligence and are able to like knock it out of the park, you know, first go. That's just, I learned through experiences and that's how I was able to figure that out. Um, You can make this personal or you can make it general. Can you think of an example of someone or yourself not being the true self? I have a friend of mine and... I can see him and I've given him this feedback and it's not anything I'm trying to hide, but he's made choices in his life and it's always around like the kind of what's next. And he stepped in to uh, help a family business. It was supposed to be temporary years pass. He, married his his sweetheart and you know was he sure that he wanted to marry her long term i don't know 
And I see him like, you know, he, he makes all these choices, children, et cetera. You go down the, the rabbit hole and I see him 10 years later and it's, it's, I am not sure he consciously made any of those choices and was able to step back and go, what, what do I need? What do I want? And I think when you do that, it, the people that I interact with who made those choices five, 10, 30 years ago, whatever, because I've, you know, just hundred versions of the same story, you know, they struggle to figure out what they want to make the decisions to grow, develop, figure out what's important to them. And in my experience uh, with the people I know that have done those kind of things, like they, they make their own self-destructive choices or, um, whether it's being bad relationships or enter, you know, any version of that. I think that's really hard and I want to help them. And like, I can't tell you how many friends of mine I've said, Hey, go see a therapist. It's actually, it works. Join a forum. If you're a business leader, like it works. And cause those kind of things to be able to talk through and not just have things run in your head can be so powerful. And Unfortunately, I feel like the people that struggle with that, like the ones that have uh, and struggle to be vulnerable, honest, and like even if they can do that, like sometimes not knowing what they want. And if you can get all those kind of aligned the same direction, and this is something I struggled with my entire life uh, as well, but it can be a super powerful trait as a business leader once you have that aligned. If I was to kind of use not one word, but a couple of words to describe or define what you mean by true self. You use the word want a lot, identifying what we want. And then a couple of times you use the word uh, or versions of the word choice or choose. So to some degree, it sounds like what we're getting at is being our true self can be defined as identifying what we want and choosing to pursue it. I think that's an excellent definition. Uh, I'm going through a big life change right now, and uh, that's causing me to reflect a ton on my whole adult life. And it's fascinating how what I'm realizing and concluding is there were a whole slew of things that I did want, but they were under the surface. I didn't realize them. It's hard. It's really hard when we're going through Damn something. Damn near impossible. Yeah. yeah. So that, that would be a fascinating thing to be able to identify that, you know, where a little bit more clearly where they rise to the surface. And as you noted, I, you know, I don't know if you've been through therapy. I've been, I've been through therapy myself and saw the power in it. And so I am curious about that. Like, had I been going to therapy during a certain period of my life, would those things have come to the surface? Because it's all dependent on who that person is right across from you. I've known people that have gone to therapy and nothing has changed. You have to be willing to put into the work to make the change. And so I would challenge like, yeah, you can look back and be nostalgic and like, oh man, maybe I would have figured this out sooner or faster. But you might not have been willing to accept that and, and make that change. And least, so I've learned through my journey, I am not always willing. I was not always willing. Now I try to be a lot more aggressive about that. And uh, I find that to be a lot more fruitful when I am. So I've been an educator for most of my uh, career. And in Junto, we've got over 120 mentors who have said what so many of us educators say. And that is, 
we learn more from the process of teaching and mentoring than we sometimes believe the students and mentees do. And one of the things that I'm proudest of about you is, uh, I think in the last year, um, you shared that you were teaching your team members um, about emotional intelligence, stimulated in part by some of the things that you learned during Hunto's program. So I'd love to hear from you what specifically you've been discovering and learning about yourself in this process. What are you discovering about not just your team members, but people in general, and also these specific skills related to emotional intelligence? So there's a lot in that question. Um, First, I'm I'm meeting with my team. Uh, What we have is like basically like new manager training, essentially is what it is, where I practice the Junto habits with them. And these are people that for for the first time, they're managing one, two, a handful of people. And I tried to think about what are good habits and practices. And so we, we go through a number of different things, Junto habits being one of them. I think for me personally, it was a good refresher to like, you know, go through the habits and I would practice it with them. Probably not as much as I should, but it's amazing to see how consistent, I mean, and these kind of, we'll call it core habits, focus areas, practices continue, like, you know, whether you're a new manager or experienced leader. And there's a lot of research. I mean, other people have their own version of this and they kind of encapsulate it, but it's, it's always fun for me when like two weeks after we practice a habit, they're like, oh my God, I do realize that you know, I am happier from this. It It is, I was able to have that difficult conversation, whatever it might be. And just trying to give people the tools to be able to take action uh, and improve. Um, as a leader myself, like, you know, you constantly have to be up in your game. And my job now at this point is because the business is growing so fast is to make sure I don't become, for lack of a better way, irrelevant. Uh, and the business I need to grow as fast as the business is growing. So that means every six to nine months, like my job role is completely changed. So you got to constantly iterate and, and evolve that, you know, compared to you know, what we were talking about before of being uh, the entrepreneur versus a, you know, a great employee. What are you learning about other people as you're going through this process? For me, as I'm going through the process, there's an, a number of things that I'm picking up. The first one for me, and this might sound strange, is just being able to get exposure and better understanding to some of my team members because we're growing so fast. So the idea that I can be on in front of these frontline managers who are interacting with the team uh, and hopefully will one day grow into various leadership positions. Um, I want to build the rapport. So I think like at the core, like that's a, that's a big thing for me, but I also learn how they tick, what they think about where their problems are and I can also pace along and follow their progress because you can see people who are as they, you know, from the first person they manage to, you know, when they're at 10 or whatever it is, seeing them develop and grow is kind of fun. And as we talk about earlier, what we decide we want and what one of the things that are motivators for me is like the idea of job creation and development. So the, whether people are working we have this we have this motto at Review Trackers. Um, uh, we want people to do the best work of their career. So I try to set up systems and processes to enable that to happen. And it's always sad for me when like someone like 
they develop, they're growing, we promote them multiple times and they're like, we're going to move on to the next thing. But it's always rewarding to me because there's a good chunk of them that will say, thank you. I would have never had these opportunities. I learned so much. And like that allowed me to go to the next level. And that's kind of amazing. And so when I think about all the the hours spent doing these kind of trainings and development and we want to help people grow, we want to help them develop. And I think that's how you build an amazing team and culture. And that's why we invest so much into it. And I, I have the view it's going to pay dividends. I mean, I want people to stay with us forever, but I also realize like they have their own growth development. They want to live in different cities, you know, whatever it might be. So as we uh, wrap up, we're going to close with uh, appreciations, just like we do throughout uh, our sessions in Junto. I'll start. I appreciate your maturity. It is not something that just exists today. I don't think I realized 10, 12 years ago when we got to know, maybe even longer. I don't think I realized back then how mature you were. And at the time, if someone had asked me, I probably would have mentioned it. But now that I've been able to kind of watch you grow over the last 10 or 15 years, it's been a theme that I, that has continued on. And earlier you shared with me how old you were and that caught me a little bit off guard because I actually thought you were a little bit older, whether that's because I think we've known each other for a long time or not. But I think it's mostly because you've always carried yourself with a different sense of responsibility, a different outlook on the world, a different sense of connection with the people around you. And all of those wrapped up to me are your maturity. Thank you, Roman. I appreciate a couple different things. Uh, one, your passion for the craft. You have been doing Hinto for how many years now? Seven. Seven. I've been at Review Tracker. It's just shy of eight. And to see your own journey of how you've developed, building the empire, the alumni network, the mentors has been kind of, it's been invigorating to watch. And I think it's closer to your true self than uh, maybe you were in the the old professor days, uh, although a lot of the themes still can carry over. But that and just uh, appreciate the the friendship. Before the, the podcast recording, he was joking, I'll give you one piece of advice, which Ram doesn't normally do, uh, ever. And it, it was something that I agree with and something that I'm going to do. And it's uh, it's just fun to have that banter and relationship almost 15 years later. And um, I've never had to do this, but I know if I called you or texted you and I said, I need you here in an hour, you'd be there. And I like that I have those. I, you know, you're one of those people and uh, I appreciate that a lot. So thank you. And I would be there in an hour. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's been awesome having you. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you're uh, unemployed or unemployable, uh, reviewtrackers.com slash careers, uh, check us out. Our next guest is Brian Jerowitz. I've known Brian since the time that I launched the Junto Institute when he became one of our first mentors. Brian is a former athlete, having played football at the University of Wisconsin and in the NFL. He started his first company uh, soon thereafter uh, called Gradebeam, which he ran for about 10 or 12 years and then had a successful exit. In Junto, he became the CEO of mentor of one of our CEOs who was going through the program, and then Brian ultimately joined that company called ThreadMeUp. 
after which he joined another one of our graduate companies called AeroPayments. So he has a multifaceted relationship with Junto. AeroPayments helps companies and uh, higher ed institutions like universities with the security and efficiency of their payment processing. Let's get to learn more about Brian Jerowitz. So I'm really excited to have uh, one of our longest serving mentors here uh, on today's episode of Flourishing Together, and uh, we're joined by Brian Jerowitz. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Raman. It is fantastic to be here. So um, how are you feeling right now? Uh, it's interesting because you and I had a meeting yesterday and I was feeling a little helpless. Today, I am feeling enthusiastic. So that is the great thing about entrepreneurialism. Nice. Thank you. I am feeling um, proud and uh, I'm still feeling warm-hearted from this morning. Uh, that was the sentiment I had then and uh, it's still going also a touch of amazed. Interesting. So let's start as we normally do on, on these episodes with the first recollection you have of leadership in action. So for me, leadership started uh, at a pretty young age through athletics. I, uh, especially in high school, had some pretty amazing coaches that were leaders, felt like Father figures at times felt like generals at times, especially through uh, my football career. Leaders who you know expressed how important it is to be a leader and to stand out and be strong and and uh, set good examples. So let me ask you: Is there a specific story that you recall that had to do with leadership and may have been inspiring to you? So my high school coach uh, was general by the name of Paul Adams. Coached for thirty years at. Deerfield High School was uh, Illinois, you know, high school coaches Hall of Fame. I was lucky enough to have him near the end of his career, and he used to always speak about the fact that when you snap your fingers, life is moving quickly, and you need to stop and take advantage of the opportunities when you have them. And so he would say, you know, you're going to snap your fingers, and you're going to be a senior, and you're going to snap your fingers again, and high school career is going to be over. So if you don't take advantage of these opportunities now and work hard and you know, make the most of your, your situation, then it's going to be gone and you're going to be older and the time will have passed. So you brought up the fact that you were an athlete and, um, I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit mm -hmm. because, um, from my experience with you and about you, it's something that you have been comfortable sharing or seem to be comfortable sharing as you've gotten to know people, but early in a relationship, I have experienced and I've also heard from other people mm -hmm. that it isn't something that we've all experienced. So as I mentioned in my intro, Brian played football at the University of Wisconsin and in the NFL. And so he's been an athlete effectively for most of his life. And what I want to dig into is what you learned about leadership as an athlete through your role on different teams, um, from the teammates who you were around all the time. And then obviously from the quote unquote leaders on the field, the coaches, the managers, and mm -hmm. so on. How much time do we have? So I was, I've been blessed to be around a lot of leaders throughout, you know, my youth and through my college career and then in the NFL. And um, for me, leadership is setting the example. It is, you know, leading by example. It is, um, you know, finding a way to inspire other individuals to be the best they can be. 
And, you know, I have a lot of experiences from really early on, I would say, you know, high school, if not earlier of coaches pulling me aside and saying, you know, you have the tools to go as far as you want in life. Um, not just because of, you know, your physical abilities or gifts, but just the fact that if you set your mind straight and if you are committed to what you want to achieve, that you can do anything. Um, it just takes persistence. It takes hard work. It's something that's carried me through my entire life, my career. I had a, another coach in high school was an assistant coach. His name was Doc Kohler. And my parents were divorced when I was pretty young. And he pulled me aside at the time and said, you know, have you ever heard of the term compartmentalize? And at the time I thought, well, maybe I've kind of heard, it. I don't quite know it, but he said, you need to be able to compartmentalize in life. So when you're on the field, you can shut everything else out and focus on one play, one time, one opportunity to be really good and not think about whether it's schoolwork or family life or other things that may come into your mind or your experience when you're trying to achieve something. And I thought that was pretty profound and has always stuck with me. Being able to compartmentalize both when you're on the field, compartmentalize when you're at work, when you're in a situation and your emotions may be getting the best of you and the ability to kind of regulate. And I think it, it plays a lot into emotional intelligence to be able to take advantage of a situation, perform your best and achieve to the best of your ability while also connecting with the people around you, which is another part of leadership is not just you know, leading by example for yourself, but understanding the strengths and weaknesses of other people and how you can best, you know, bring that out in them and work together as a team to achieve together, which ultimately is leading a team. So I want to talk about this leading by example mm -hmm. thing, because I struggle with it. First of all, I have tried to come up with scenario examples or experiences of my own of not leading by example. And I had a hard time with it. And I think it's because what I've learned is when we talk about leading by example, we're kind of getting to a virtuous thing, like leading in a good way and setting a good example for people. But the truth is, is that even quote unquote bad leaders or poor leaders can still and probably do lead by example. So A, I want to get your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. And then B, what I'd really like to also learn is a story or hear a story about poor leadership in your athletic career. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting because in my athletic career, I don't know that I have too many examples of poor leadership. I think I was just lucky in uh, the situation that I was in at each level. Uh, but I do have examples from you know my career as in business where I do think that you can be a poor leader and inspire people to follow you because they're afraid of you or you lead with a stick instead of a carrot. But I do believe true inspiration comes from being inspired to perform well for someone because you appreciate them, because they have led by example, whether they're doing exactly what you need to do and you're, you're following their way in replicating them, or they have led by example to the point where you've been inspired by them. You don't want to let them down. And that type of leadership is more inspiring to me. And I think goes a longer way than leading by a stick and having people, you know, constantly looking at how do I get out of this situation and move to, you know, getting what little needs to be done in order to be successful so I can move on to my next, you know, career step. Yeah. So this was even furthered in my mind because yesterday, yesterday morning, I had 
a slight episode with the founder of a startup here in town that kind of shocked me. And it was based on how this person communicated with me. And I was kind of thrown off because I couldn't recall the last time that someone spoke to me in that manner in my professional career. And since then, I have remembered the last time, and it was about 10 years ago, but I was really thrown off. And it just so happens that this person is the COO of a well-known company here in town. And what started to occur to me is, uh, you know, the questions I asked myself related to, is this how this person behaves in their workplace? Is this how they're leading by example without intentionally doing it, right? In other words, are their employees taking cues from this person that this type of behavior is acceptable? And that's what I'm getting at about this idea of leading by example in a negative way. Sure. And I think that has a negative impact both on, you know, that specific situation, but now you're, especially if you're dealing with a lot of younger folks or younger employees, you're now setting the example for them in their career to think, okay, well, if I want to be in the position of leadership, the only experience I've had, especially if they're not coming from an athletic background or they haven't been around coaches or leaders throughout their whole life. And uh, maybe that's their first position. Now they think in order to be a leader, I have to be, whether it's a nasty person or a scary person or someone who is going to force people to follow me versus someone who's going to inspire, you know, with a plan. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something that I want to keep thinking about and keep having uh, conversations about because it's a, it's a fascinating part of leadership that I don't know gets talked about mm-hmm. a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Since the time that you became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And it's been a while now since you exited your company. But since that time, you've worked closely with two companies, both of which I know pretty well or did know. Um, one that was a high growth company with a very young team where you kind of brought a lot of experience and maturity to the table. And then the second company being one with um, steady growth and a more mature team. I want you to reflect on kind of that triangulation, your entrepreneurial experience, the experience with the younger team, the experience with the more mature team, which is your, your current role. What are some of the leadership truths that you have kind of concluded or reached as a result of these three very different experiences? So I would start with evolving from leading by example, because I was thinking about the type of leader that I am. And I think when I first started my first company, Gradebeam, I was young at the time. I was, you know, late 20s and we were ahead of the game when it comes to bringing technology to the construction industry. Nobody had really relied on the internet at that point in time. So we were changing and convincing a lot of habits in the ways people were operating in a, you know, old school business, if you will. And in that mindset as a young person, I thought, all right, I need to lead by example. I need to be the hardest worker here so that everybody else works hard. I need to you know, work long hours. so Everybody else is inspired to work long hours. And that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And I realized over time that the harder I worked, the more other people would just rely on me to get the job done. So they would come to me because they knew I was a perfectionist and I would want to have things done the right way. So I would take them on myself instead of inspiring them or training them or helping them be the best they could be. So I think I've transitioned in that situation because it was about a 10 year, you know, from when we first launched to when we eventually sold the business, learned that I can't just rely on myself, that I have to inspire the team, that I have to be more of a coach leader than a lead by example type person. So I would say that was 
the lesson I learned through the grade beam experience, my first um, exit. And then from there, Thread Me Up was the young, fast-growing company. I met those guys coming out of college. They had entered the Junto program. They were onto something, able to generate fast revenue quickly, you know, multi-million dollars a year within a short period of time. And the lesson there, I think, was having a plan and sticking to it because they were so young and there was so much happening. There was so much confidence because, you know, they had achieved so much so fast that it was always going to be there. That no matter what they did, they just had to keep their foot on the gas and keep pushing forward and doing whatever they thought at the moment was going to help get to the next level. When in fact, I think it would have benefited everyone to take a step back and put together a plan and stick to the plan and measure results and have more of a, an approach that everybody kind of believed in versus showing up every day and, and doing whatever felt right. So there were a lot of, you know, learnings, missteps there. And, and something I learned actually from another coach, um, Barry Alvarez in, in college, we, at the time, the University of Wisconsin hadn't been to a bowl game in like eight years when I chose to go to school there. And I could have gone anywhere in the country. But we believed in him and he inspired us with a plan. And you know, from day one, we believed we could be champions. It went from no bowl to the Rose Bowl in one year. And so taking that level of leadership, having a plan that everyone believes in and sharing the plan and communicating, I think, is the next evolution of having a plan, not just having one and but inspiring people to follow it and believe in it and work together and owning their own part of the business, which is, I think, where I've evolved to now with Aero Payments in that we are a very cohesive team. We had to change some of the personnel when I first joined the team to make sure that everyone was aligned, everyone believed in working together and for the benefit of the good of the whole company. And today we have a plan and everyone owns their role, their responsibility. You know, we don't talk about, you know, bosses and employees. We talk about team and we talk about roles and we talk about where we want to go and communicating with everyone. So we have a plan that um, everyone understands their, their goals and responsibilities. Nice. That was fun to hear uh, only because I know quite a bit about the middle story, not as much about the first one mm-hmm. and I'm continuing to learn more about this third one. So it was kind of cool to get your, um, your reflections on that. So staying with those experiences, those three, and especially with an additional experience of this year when you have been learning and practicing emotional intelligence skills with the Arrow team, how have your personal views and beliefs evolved over time with respect to emotional intelligence? So when I first thought of emotional intelligence, you know, my, I guess my experience or my understanding was, you know, just being able to regulate your emotions, being able to understand emotions that you see in other people and not sort of losing your cool. But there, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And working through the lessons that we've been studying. So every month we have a meeting with Junto and we talk about, you know, what the lesson is for the month. And it's been challenging to try to stay on top of all the lessons, even though it's only one per month. And I think that no matter how you know advanced you may think you are in terms of managing yourself and your emotions and being able to read others, you can never be, you know, perfect. There's always going to be times where you lose your cool and uh, it takes that constant level of concentration to make sure that you are communicating effectively, that you are listening effectively, that you are interacting well with other people. Um, And it's not, it's not easy. It's not something you can just, you know, achieve in a 
matter of months or even a year of, of focusing on it and assume you're good. I think if you don't stay focused on it, you will eventually you know, fall off the train, if you will, and, and have to get back on. And let's go back, though, to your grade beam experience and then the thread me up one. How would you kind of like, like incorporate those two experiences, even though you may not have been as conscious about emotional intelligence or maybe even aware of it? You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk about that, like when you kind of first started to learn about it and understand it and appreciate it. But looking back, you know, how do you look at your grade beam years through the lens of emotional intelligence, both for yourself and your team? How do you look back at your thread me up years through the lens of emotional intelligence? That's an interesting uh, question because I think with grade beam, again, I was young at the time. I was driven. My expectations were you're going to be as driven as I am walking into this company if you want to work here or you need to hit the road. And looking back, there's times where I can say that I didn't make the best choices because I expected someone was going to be there and they were going to show up and they were going to give everything they had. Because at the time I wasn't married, I didn't have kids. I was, you know, driven to create success and it was going to be a challenge because we were creating something from scratch. And it was that evolution of time and then dealing with a board and their expectations and, and where I fit in relation to trying to achieve not just my own goals, but theirs. And then also thinking through the team and the best way to inspire them was to help them achieve their own individual goals versus just following mine. So I think that was the evolution of emotional intelligence through that experience. And then I think when I was working with Thread Me Up, I saw that through the individuals who started that company because they were young and driven and in the same shoes I was in, where as at that time I was married, I had kids, I, you know, was just as much focused on having a good family life as I was in achieving in business. And I think that gives you another perspective in trying to help them understand that there's more to life, the bigger picture out there and, and connecting emotionally and, and uh, working together in that regard. Yeah. So, so you brought up your kids and they're still fairly young. Mm-hmm. So you've got a young family and you have shared a couple of times the desire to bring some of this emotional intelligence stuff that you're learning into your home. What are your intentions with that? Or what were your intentions with that? And then secondly, how's it going? Uh, intentions are probably well, a multitude of, of uh, you know, situations there. It's easy when you are a driven individual and you have a career and you're trying to build companies to sort of burn yourself out at work and then come home and have nothing left. And so I'd say that the first you know, goal for me is to be able to come home with a clear head and leave work at work and and still give as much as I can at home and have the energy at home, but at the same time, inspiring my children, both as a good father and setting a good example and not losing my cool or running out of steam when I get home, but also setting the example of how I want them to live their lives. So as they get older, they can relate to other people, appreciate and understand their own emotions internally manage them and be the person that they want to be as well as have the relationships that are meaningful in their lives that they can with other people by having that connectivity, that interaction, that experience that's deeper than just, Hey, how's it going today? And how's it going with them? Um, it's, you know, children are challenging, especially (laughs) as they get older because they have their own personalities, their own desires, their own goals, their own roles that they assume within a, a family unit. And, um, I think every day is a learning experience and it's 
just amazing to watch them get older and achieve and become their own individual and uh, see a little bit of yourself in them as well as a little bit of your wife or significant other in them as they get older and sort of become inspiring and proud of, of who they are becoming and knowing that you have a major responsibility in that. And so I think it's, it's going well, but there's always opportunities for me to be a better person, better father and, and uh, continue to inspire them to be the best they can be. So as I said, at the, at, at the opening, um, you've been a mentor with us since the very beginning. And in particular, you've played the role of a CEO mentor working closely with different CEOs that have been through the program over the years. And I have consistently received very positive feedback about you. That's why you get invited back. You know, it's, we don't get to see the mentoring. We only get to hear about it sometimes. And I have my sense of why you've gotten that, those reviews and why your mentees have appreciated your approach and your style and but I'd love for you to share in your own words what you think your mentoring style is and how you mentor other people, whether it's those who've been through Junto, those you work with today, or even other people. Mm-hmm. I would probably go back towards the coaching description. Um, I am also do, do a lot of coaching for my kids' sports, and I'm very big on listening and having an opportunity to let people be who they are and inspiring them to help find their own, you know, success, if you will. So with the kids, if I'm coaching, you know, little league, if you will, I've constantly have parents coming up to me saying, I just love your coaching style. I love how positive you are with the kids and how you're never yelling or getting, you know, angry or mad at them. And they're just, they're so happy and enjoying sports, but at the same time getting better and, and, to me, I think that's whether it's kids or it's adults that you're mentoring, it's how do you inspire them to find their own path and be positive and encourage them to be the best they can be and listen to what their goals are and listen to their problems and try to share experiences. And that's one of the things I love about Hunto is the fact that it's not come in, show up and tell people what to do or what you think they should do. It's listen to them, listen to their experience and share your own in a way where they can find their own path because in the end, they're going to be responsible for it. And you can only, you know, have an influence at most at what uh, decisions they may want to make. Well, I'm glad I was on the right track because the two things that I've always believed, and it's without question, it's been influenced by what your mentees have said to us over the years. But those two things are listening and the shared experiences. And especially the listening part, because that's something I've personally experienced with you over the years is you've always been an incredibly attentive and deep listener. And even, I mean, I still remember the very first phone call we had after being introduced Mm -hmm. by a mutual friend of ours. I remember consciously thinking, wow, I've never talked to this guy and I can tell he's listening very attentively. And I don't remember where you were, but I, I recall there being some background noise and it was distracting to me on my side of the phone and even marveling at this idea that um, you were still able to, to avoid that distraction. And maybe it's that compartmentalization thing again, where you were able to be that zoned in on the mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. It might even be somewhat, you know, selfish in my own approach to life, but I believe every person you meet is another lifetime of experience that you don't have. So it's just as much an opportunity to learn from them and learn from their experience as it is to share your own. 
and I don't have all the answers and I never will. And so there's always an opportunity to continue to learn and experience life. And for every individual that you meet is a chance for them to share theirs. And it's again, a lifetime of experience that you're never going to have yourself. So take advantage of those moments. That's a great way to uh, come to our conclusion. So we're going to wrap things up with closing appreciations. Well, I appreciate uh, you ramen all the time that we have spent together. Uh, there is nothing like being able to uh, connect with the people through Hunto that care about the relationships and their opportunities and working together. And, uh, you know, love is probably the only word that, that really represents the experience of Hunto. And I think that's a testament to who you are and what you believe in and, and what you're trying to create with Hunto. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be involved and the opportunity to share some of my experience today. You're welcome. And thank you for that. I appreciate what you just said. I appreciate your presence. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but as people listening might imagine, if, if Brian played football, both division one and, and in the NFL, you know, he's a pretty decent sized human being. Um, so he has some physical gifts in terms of his height. And, uh, and so there's a physical presence, but I think that that gets, added to by your emotional and psychological presence as well is your eye contact is always very strong. You, as I mentioned, you listen very well. And I think that kind of elevates the presence that you have in a room, whether there's four or five people or 40 or 50 people. And it's something I should even say I experience here in a one-on-one -on -one setting as well with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being here with us, Brian. I appreciate you contributing to um, our podcast and um, look forward to continuing these types of conversations with you over time. Thank you for the invitation. And I look forward to not only listening to this one, but also uh, all of the other conversations you're having. There was so much to draw from in those conversations that I had with uh, Chris Campbell and Brian Jurowitz. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, I've known both of them for many years, and I've been able to watch them operate as leaders and also continue to build friendships with them. As you probably could tell by their comments, each of them has a pretty gentle side to them, yet both of them have uh, a strong sense of self, a high degree of self-confidence, and yet acknowledge the human flaws and weaknesses that they possess. I appreciated that both of them discussed these types of ideas that relate to leading by example and setting a positive example, uh, not only in the workplace, but also at home. And it resonated with me deeply, given my own personal story and my journey, and how I didn't pay as much attention to that idea, uh, that idea of leading by example and setting a positive example, both as a parent or as a leader, uh, for a for a good maybe 10 to 15 years, especially early in my career and then early in parenthood. Uh, but in the past maybe 8 to 10 years, I've increasingly become more aware, if not hyper-aware, of the power of uh, leading by example. In fact, the most touching moments I've experienced as both a father and a leader have been when people have commented on that, uh, specifically my children. I have two daughters. And then uh, the many people who I associate with at Junto, whether they're on our team, as mentors, as employees, and even those who we serve as customers. It's been gratifying when uh, they've remarked about my abilities 
as they relate in the form of parenting or leading and how they may exemplify being a role model. And it's also very humbling when they have said the opposite. I don't get a lot of that in the workplace, but suffice it to say that uh, because of the close relationship I have with my daughters, they're also comfortable telling me when that's not the case. And what I've come to terms with is that this whole concept of leading by example, which is a very trite saying, kind of cliched almost to an extent, I'm not so sure gets taken as seriously and thoughtfully as, as we sometimes might want to. It's pretty well understood that the best way to lead is by leading by example. But what does that mean? You know, and, and how do we do that on a daily basis? I've learned that leading by example reflects something that's positive, but it also incorporates the negative. And another way of looking at it is that when we talk about leading by example in the context of leadership or parenting, which by the way, I, I believe is a role in a context where we are also leaders, we're talking about virtuous behaviors, kind of fundamental human truths about interaction and how we exist in the world that are hard to argue with as being positive. So as we think about this idea of virtuous behaviors and, and non-virtuous behaviors, everyone we're around is modeled by the behaviors that we display and the language we use, especially in the context of leadership. And I believe um, in my life that was the case that I was modeled by the people I looked up to or was supposed to look up to, um, parents, bosses, mentors, uh, teachers, and interestingly enough, less so perhaps by my friends and peers during the early decades of my life. In the last maybe 10 to 15 years, I've been far more uh, selective and cognizant about who I want to spend my time with as friends and as peers and I've chosen to be around people who have a positive impact on me, whose virtuous behaviors and language help me grow. So this idea of modeling, I would say that I'm just like you know everyone else that is affected by the people around me. But then when I flip it around and recognize that I am also affecting the people who are around me in, in the form of my, my children or our team members, whether they're mentors, whether they're employees, that leading by example is happening even when I'm not consciously thinking about it. And this is where the power of emotional intelligence truly shows. For instance, Brian talked about listening, arguably, in my opinion, the most critical uh, emotional intelligence skill and something that, in my experience, most people overestimate their ability at. When we demonstrate our listening capability and our listening skills in our day-to-day -day interactions, we're modeling our behavior to other people. If we're in the home and we are not listening attentively to our partner, our children are picking up on that. And surprisingly, in some cases, even consciously, uh, in the workplace, if we show that we're tr multitasking when we're trying to listen to an employee or a colleague, others are taking note of that. And that sets the tone for the company and for, for the culture. In our conversation, Chris Campbell talked about our true self, 
which I think is is a very valuable and perhaps virtuous idea. Yet at the same time, we all know that our true self also integrates some of our non-virtuous behaviors and language. And when we fall prey to defaulting to our true self, we are being our authentic selves, but the question is, is that our best self? And by being authentic and our quote-unquote true self, do we actually have the capacity to be empathetic to other people, uh, where we can demonstrate both cognitive um, empathy and also emotional empathy? And so in being our true self, are we exhibiting both virtuous and non-virtuous behaviors, or is there a way for us to engage the virtuous behaviors since we know that we're leading by example and setting an example for people around us. We're in a fishbowl on a daily basis, uh, whether we know it or not. People are watching us, are observing us, much like we are watching others and observing others. And they're being influenced by virtually everything we say or do. And based on their own morals or their own values systems, they decide how to process all of that data. Do they integrate it? Are they influenced by it? Are they inspired by it? Or do they spit it out like our bodies spit out viruses by fighting them? It's important in my view that we recognize that we're in this fishbowl, we're under a microscope. And in Junta, we use this phrase periodically, that we are emotional Wi-Fi. We're sending signals to the people around us all the time, consciously and subconsciously. And I believe it's important that we're aware of the fact that we're sending these signals. You know, Brian mentioned being tapped out by work, but needing to be the best, being his best self upon coming uh, home. And that's an example of how that emotional Wi-Fi is so relevant. We all have tough days at work, uh, maybe even highly stressful days. And if we bring that home, those signals are being transmitted, whether we know it or not, to our uh, family and our friends who are with us at home. And so it reminds me of one of our mentors who a few years ago mentioned that uh, he spends one to two minutes every day in the garage, in his car, upon arriving home. He shuts the garage, turns off the engine, and just puts himself in a mindset to remind himself that he's coming home to be dad and husband. And it allows him to do that compartmentalizing that Brian brought up to say, okay, I'm done with work. I've left work. What were all my stresses? How can I put all that behind me so that I can walk into the home to be the best father and be the best husband that I can be? Needless to say, though, it's hard. It's hard to do that, you know, engage in that kind of behavior on a daily basis and obviously it's hard to do this whole leading by example thing. Leading by example requires this ability for us to be aware of where we are, who we're with, what we say, what we do, how we respond, and so much more. And as long as we remember that we are human, and that we cannot be perfect, nor be on all the time, it makes it easier for us to navigate this challenge. But it's something I believe that we can get better at the more we draw awareness to it. And interestingly, kind of speaking to this idea that we're human and can't be perfect, the more that we acknowledge that to others in our spheres of influence, our team members, our children, our peers, 
the more that we actually continue to lead by example. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. This episode was produced by Dante32.